At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Maricel Presilla, chef, historian, and author of Gran Cocina Latina, an opus that she worked on for more than 30 years, and won the James Beard Cookbook of the Year back when she first published it in 2013. Tucked into its 500-plus recipes, I found this incredibly simple green bean dish that happens to be perfect for Thanksgiving or any sort of feast because you can make it mostly ahead so that on the big day, it takes zero oven space and asks that you cook it for no more than 10 minutes in a skillet on the stovetop. It's bright and fresh, but also deeply flavored, and it has a brilliant trick that completely surprised me to make it just creamy enough to feel a little bit special. In this episode, Maricel will share so much more about this technique and its roots and how it can fit beautifully into a holiday menu and also the most heartwarming Thanksgiving story I have ever heard. That will be in the second half of the episode. Please don't miss it. But first, here is Maricel to tell us where she first encountered this recipe and why it delighted and surprised her a little, too. I learned this, this recipe from uh, the mother of four of my closest friends, uh, four Colombian women who were very important in my life uh, in different points, lovely people, great cooks. Uh, and they had learned most of their cooking from their mother, uh, Angelica La Peira. And she was born in 1905 uh, in a small town called Remolino, which is about an hour and a half from Barranquilla, which is at the mouth of the Magdalena River. Some of the great cooks of the coastal region come from this, this town. The cooking is great and the people are absolutely wonderful, kind and generous. And, and as I said, fabulous cooks. So I, um, I enjoyed uh, eating this very simple and humble dish and watching the Angelica prepare it with such care. You know, as a chef, I could see clearly the chef he touches, although she was not a chef, she learned it from her mother, imagine. She was mm. born in 1905. You know, it's the 19th century recipe. Wow. She was very careful uh, in blanching, uh, blanching the, the string beans, um, which is not common. Uh, in most cases, um, Latin American cooks tend to overcook uh, greens like that. And they, you know, they, they look like the color of uh, army fatigues, you know, the drab olive color. But um, her beans were very bright. Uh, and, and, you know, they had a crunch. They were not mushy, overly soft. They were really perfect. 
uh, she did everything the right way. She blanched the, the string beans, then she chocked them in, in cold water. Um, the, the seasoning ingredients were, you know, freshly sauteed and then milk was added. But I imagine, you know, uh, Angelica being so happy, so pleased to know that, you know, the, the daily, you know, the daily fare that she would serve to her family in Remolino and, and Barranquilla, you know, is now, you know, people are talking about it uh, as a genius recipe and, and good, you know, I mean, I hope that she's, you know, listening to us you know, in the heavenly kitchen, you know, uh, where she's now, um, because the fact that she was so careful, that she, the fact that she was so focus in, in creating uh, something beautiful because when you look at these beings they're green they're not you know they have crunch uh the milk is is you know it's like a beautiful blanket mm -hmm. that does not overwhelm uh the beings and, and it's just perfect for a holiday meal anywhere absolutely when i first saw it that was what drew me to it both the simplicity and the explanation in your head note about what had drawn you to it and especially um, the milk at the end was the most surprising thing to me because I I think I've just gotten it in my head that that milk is fickle or something that it like if you put it into a recipe you have to be very careful to make it not break I think I must have been influenced by um, you know I went to cooking school that was definitely French influenced yes. and so just seeing that. She could very casually at the end of her recipe splash in some milk and it would do, um, like you said, it would just, you know, give it this kind of light but enriching blanket to make it feel just a little bit more special. But that's beautiful. Hold on, hold on to that idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the, the metaphor here, the blanket. I, I'm not afraid with milk. Uh, I've had dishes where the milk that has been added uh, to a savory dish, you know, it, it sort of begins to coagulate. Uh, for example, I mean, there is a dish that I love from, from Mexico, from Oaxaca, uh, which is, you know, you add milk to, um, to rajas, you know, with different, different um, chiles, you know, green chiles, uh, like poblanos and, and other chiles that are similar, mm -hmm. uh, and onions and garlic, and then you add the milk and some cheese. And that's, that's pour over, um, over beans. And obviously, there are, there are little clumps mm -hmm. of the of the milk here and there, but there are, people love it, you know. And they obviously, you know, you also have the cheese and the milk, and and it's it's just delightful. And I wonder, you know, I mean, I would love to do that recipe again with uh, almond milk, mm -hmm. just to make it even more medieval uh, tasting, uh, or early colonial, you know, with almond milk. I think it would be fabulous. Think about it. Yeah. Try it with different different kind of milk. It sounds delicious. When you eat string beans at an American table in the U.S., uh, you know, or or in a fancy restaurant uh, in in Europe, you don't think of string beans as something that has to do with Americas, with Latin America. But all beans, <laughs> fresh or dry, you know, came from Latin America. So um, I saw uh, the milk, and I said, "Oh my God, this dish belongs to a very long and beautiful family." of milk-based dishes, savories that we have in, in Latin America. And I could see clearly that the roots of all that, you know, the use of milk and cream and cheese has to do with uh, medieval Spanish cooking. In medieval Spain, actually, because they didn't have too many cows uh, and it was hard to keep the milk fresh, what they mostly used 
was, you know, the cheeses, you know, like, you know, fresh cheeses that would become milky or the way from making cheese uh, or, or cream, especially that cream that floats on the, uh, on, on milk that has been boiled or almond milk. And in Sephardic and Islamic recipes, you find a lot of almond milk. So you can imagine the Spanish settlers coming to the new world, having tons of cows to milk, because obviously cattle ranching became, became very important, especially in places like Colombia, where you have the, the Colombian plains, Venezuela also, uh, even in, in the Caribbean, you know, in Cuba, we have, you know, we had a cattle ranching tradition in the Dominican Republic. There were more cattle than people. Um, places like Paraguay, more cattle than people. So obviously, you know, milk is, became an important ingredient. And if you look at Colombian cuisine, you see that this very humble dish belongs to a long family, you know, a large family. So you have, for example, um, a soup that I love. It's called changua. Mm -hmm. C-H-A-N-G-U-A, changua. A similar soup is called piscandina in the Venezuelan Andes. And let me explain what this, what this soup is. Please. It's basically you boil uh, sliced potatoes until they're tender. Then you add some cilantro and, and um, green onions to it. And you add eggs and milk. And it's what you eat in the morning. You know, it's a invigorating morning soup. So it's changua in Colombia and it's piscandina in uh, Venezuela. So it's, you know, it's the same idea. You know, you're, you're using milk in a savory context. In Colombia also, you have uh, a delightful dish with potatoes um, called papas chorreadas. You know, if you go to Bogota and to any restaurant, together with your, your, that's the side of meat, of, of steak. Uh, any broiled, you know, beef will come with a side of papas chorreadas. And that's potatoes uh, doused in this very rich creamy sauce with a sofrito. So it's just, you know, with the, imagine cream added to um, a cooking sauce with tomatoes and onions and garlic, just fabulous. And, you know, and I can go on and on uh, and, and tell you about different countries that have a similar way of doing things. But the important thing for me uh, as a historian, as a medievalist, and somebody who studied colonial Latin American cooking is to see how old this recipe was, how they use uh, milk in, in a simple recipe to make it, to make something humble like string beans rich and how careful this woman was. So for me, it was perfect. I wanted to have something simpler mm -hmm. um, with string beans. And I wanted to tell the world, hey, string beans are from Latin America. You know, we prepare them in different ways. Uh, and this is a very good recipe, it's simple, but also it shows the skill and the care uh, of the cook. So for me, um, it was another piece of the puzzle that Gran Cocina Latina is, uh, which is the story of my life as a cook, mm -hmm. as someone who was born in the Caribbean, thinking uh, only of myself as a Cuban and then learning that I was a Latin American at the same time that I felt that I was also uh, a citizen of the U.S. So I, you know, I gained these two nationalities when I came to the United States, but then I began to understand the relationship between uh, cultures and foods in Latin America. So the book has that journey. You know, I travel everywhere and I had the time to do it because, um, you know, I spent a lot of time writing this book and I traveled broadly throughout Latin America. I went back 
to countries that I had already visited many times just to go to different areas. I traveled through the Andes in a taxi. You know, I went down to the mouth of the Orinoco River and down the Amazon. I just did everything. And I cooked with a variety of, of chefs. Um, I was drawn, obviously, to, um, to women for very specific reasons. I come from a family of very old cooks. And because I had to leave my country, I felt that I was uh, that I had lost touch with the whole generation of women. So I took it upon myself to really look, you know, cook with these old women everywhere. Everywhere I found, uh, you know, someone in their 80s or so, I would go anywhere where I could cook with these women, spend time with them, stay with them in their homes, everywhere. Because I felt that was a, a generation that was being lost. That wisdom was being lost because I lost it with my own family. Being Cuban didn't give me a passport, essentially, uh, or just because I knew how to speak Spanish and I cook, you know, uh, Caribbean food. It didn't make me an expert on Andean cuisines and whatever. But everywhere I went, I found traces of my own personal history, the history of my own country. And that's the, you know, the glory of, of Gran Cocina Latina. Hey, it's Kristen. If you are enjoying this chat with Maricel as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent conversation with Cheryl Day about her new cookbook, Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Baking, and the Thanksgiving pie pep talk that we all needed to hear. In the second half of this episode, we will hear about the rest of Maricel's Thanksgiving menu, and we will have the fortune of hearing Maricel share the story of her romantic, downright epic first Thanksgiving in the United States. You will not want to miss it. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Do you think you'll be serving this recipe for Thanksgiving this year? I, I think it's just a great idea. The perfect turkey would be the beautiful roast turkey, mm -hmm. you know, with a great Latin American marinade. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I would do that. And maybe, maybe I could do arroz con coco from Colombia. Mm. So that would be a great another great side. So imagine to have the string beans in, with a, in the milk sauce the beautiful um, Latin American style roast turkey. Probably I would use a marinade with a lot of hot peppers, maybe Peruvian hot peppers, like a paste of um, amarillo from Peru. Who knows? Yeah. And, and then 
I can make uh, arroz con coco from Cartagena. So I would have the coast of Colombia. I would have the Barranquilla string beans, you know, the, from uh, Remolino. And I would have the Cartagena, which is this glorious colonial town uh, with the arroz con coco on my table. I, mean, I think we'll do beautifully. And in fact, you know, I could even go farther and do something with ripe plantains. Mm. Um, uh, they do brace ripe plantains in uh, Cartagena. And I think that combination, string beans, coconut rice, and the stewed braised uh, ripe plantains would go incredibly well with my Latin American style uh, roast turkey. Beautiful. Um, that sounds like a perfect menu. I would just love to hear what Thanksgiving means to you personally, too. Well, Thanksgiving is the quintessential uh, feast day uh, in my house. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, I've been married for a long time. You know, I'm a child bride, so to speak. <laughs> my, uh, you know, I had this uh, boyfriend whom I adore uh, back in Cuba. And he brought, when I left the country, you know, nobody leaves the country uh, normally from Cuba. You know, you leave and somebody comes and seals your house and you come with the clothes you have on and you get into a, you know, I went into a, a place called Baradero, this beautiful beach, but they had this, um, this setup. Um, for the American freedom flights. So I, I was in the, you know, I, I always say that it was next to the last uh, freedom flight out of Baradero to Miami. Um, but I had this boyfriend, my adored, and um, he swore to me that he would follow me. Uh, and so we were, you know, very young and um, I left in tears. I left every, you know, everything. My, I went with my father and my brother and my mother. Um, and uh, I left behind most of my extended family. Uh, some of them I never saw again. And, um, and my boyfriend, but he, he said, just get on that plane because I'll follow you. I'll, I'll swim across Guantanamo Bay. I'll, I'll meet you in Miami. And sure he did. I arrived um, August 7th, 1970. And he swam across Guantanamo Bay with four friends. They swam, you know, sharks everywhere and patrol boats. And one of them was caught, you know, prisoner. They were intersected and he was caught and he was like, you know, he spent 10 years in jail. But um, my husband, who was a slow swimmer, was not caught by the patrol boat. And so they made it to a little key by the, uh, the American Naval Base. And um, they thought they were in Cuban territory when they saw American, so black American soldiers in green fatigues, they thought they were Cuban and they were mm -hmm. Americans. So they started screaming like, come and take us, you know, because, you know, they wanted, they wanted <laughs> to give up. Um, they threw um, ropes to them. They crossed a little, uh, a little uh, canal um, of, you know, fast flowing water uh, and they made it to the American Naval Base. And um, the first meal that they got there was Thanksgiving dinner. The turkey, you know, I imagine mashed potatoes and string beans, no milk, <laughs> and uh, canned cranberry sauce. And he described the way that thing, that gel thing was with the, you know, the rings of the can. Uh, so that day after his dinner, they, you know, he called me and I was at home 
in Miami with my family doing my first butter bowl in, in an oven and just having you know a hard time figuring it out because we never roasted a turkey. We always did it in a big cauldron. It was braised. And um, so it, you know, dinner was kind of bittersweet because we were remembering all the people back in Cuba that we left, you know, adjusting to a new tradition, this idea, you know, you know we felt like new pilgrims. And um, we got the phone call when I was washing, you know, the dishes that my husband, that my, my boyfriend had arrived to the American Naval Base and telling us the day in which he was going to arrive in Miami. So, um, so obviously for us, you know, he didn't know exactly what it was. And then he learned about it in Miami when I told him the meaning of this. And through the years, you know, it became obvious to us that this Thanksgiving feast was special for us as, as immigrants. And then mm -hmm. when we started to understand how powerful the meaning of this feast was for most immigrants, I really don't know any immigrant in the United States that doesn't connect with Thanksgiving. But I think the meaning of it transcends all these, you know, particularities. And then you adapt it to your own situation as, as someone who has departed, you know, your, your homeland and you start, you have to start fresh in a new place. And it's a moment of, mm -hmm. you know, looking at the silver lining of whatever tragedies you have gone through and hardships and, and to really be thankful for the many things, you know, and, and for us, you know, uh, political immigrants, uh, it's just very powerful. It's just very powerful. I think we have mm -hmm. our health. You know, there are many values, you know, of, of my life, you know, gratitude uh, and friendships and, you know, love of family and uh, have become more and more, more powerful and more important. So I intend to celebrate those. So everyone that I know that has left something important and sort of reinvent himself or herself in this country has something to celebrate for Thanksgiving. So for me, obviously, you know, it has, it has great meaning. This story is being reenacted every year with the people coming in. You know, people for whom I have the greatest love, the, the Latin Americans, you know, and people who are so important in the food world, uh, the people who work in restaurants, the backbone of restaurants, people who work so hard, um, from whom I have learned so much. And these, these people, you know, are reinventing themselves, you know, every year. And they do sit at the table and they do think, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, the blessings that they have received, although they miss their families because so many of them have left everyone behind. I even remember, you know, in my own restaurant, you know, how, you know, we used to celebrate it a lot also at my restaurant, how we used to get together with, you know, our people, you know, our kitchen staff, our wait staff, and, and celebrate together because we had so much to be grateful for. And now, here's more from our listeners. I'm Emma LaPeruk. I am the food editor at Food52, a columnist for Big Little Recipes, and a new cookbook author. So the biggest rule with my grandma's potatoes, which we call grandma potatoes, is no measuring. You boil potatoes in salty water. This gets them seasoned throughout and also helps make them crispier in the oven. Then you drain them, throw them on a sheet pan, 
Toss them with olive oil, lots of paprika, garlic powder, dried rosemary, but you don't measure any of this. And I really think that is the secret. That's what makes them so grandma. That's what makes them so good. Hey, I'm Amy, a producer here at Food 52. And every year we look forward to my mother-in-law's famous Salvadorian style turkey, Babo Salvadoreño. The secret is the sauce, which is created by roasting and pureeing various vegetables and spices to make a savory, rich base that is carefully poured over the turkey while it's roasting, mixed together with all its juices. Oh, it makes for a totally tender bird and even juicier sandwich. Just add a French bread roll, pile it high with the turkey leftovers, watercress, radishes, and that crazy good turkey sauce on top. Oh. In this case, the leftovers are the real star of Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Dr. Marisol Presilla, the legendary chef and author of Gran Cocina Latina and other books on the history of Latin American cuisine. This week's show was put together by Coral Lee, Amy Schuster, and Emily Hanham. If you taste something genius over the holidays, I want to know about it email me at genius at food52.com. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review. Or send this episode to someone whose day would be brightened by hearing the story of Maricel and her now husband of many, many years and their first Thanksgiving together in the United States. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.